Let's say a prayer before we take a look at Scripture this morning, can we? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, um, we're grateful to be in the school today. We're thankful for all the many people who had to work even overnight to make it possible for us to park and be able to get in the building. God, we're eternal, always grateful for the hospitality of the school, from people going out of their ways to salt things and just get up early to be here. Uh, we know that we're receiving hospitality from the people who run this building and that you've given us this place here. We don't take that for granted. We're grateful for the opportunity to be here. So we pray for the school, God, that your peace would be on this school, that your shalom peace would be in the lives of the kids who come to school here and the teachers and the administrators. Um, God, that your peace that passes all understanding would be present and help the classrooms as they're trying to help these children learn and grow and become who you've created them to be. We're grateful that Mill City has a, a role to play in a relationship with the school, and we continue to pray your blessing on them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today's the first Sunday in the Lenten season. How many of you grew up in a church setting where Lent was a normal thing you did? You were participating in Lent regularly. Okay, so like maybe a third of you. Right, so for some of you, Lent might be a new idea. So let me just explain what Lent is exactly. Uh, Lent is a season every year that leads up to Easter. It's 40 days long, and it doesn't include the Sundays. So if you're a math person and you go home and start to count out the days, you can't count the Sundays. The Sundays in the tradition are considered little Easter's. So today's the first little Easter leading up to the big Easter, I guess. And on each of these 40 days, the tradition is that Christians are intentionally trying to create space in their lives for paying attention to God, maybe in ways that we're not always paying attention to God. And one of the ways that people do that, and maybe some of you are doing this, is that they try to give something up for Lent, right? Anybody giving something up for Lent? Some of you are? Seven of you. Okay. So... I talked to some people this week who were giving up things for Lent, and there seems to be two kinds of folks who are giving things up for Lent. One is, let me give something up for Lent that's not real hard so that I can be sure and say I gave something up for Lent. You don't have to raise your hand if you're that person. Like if you gave up something that you never, ever do, that doesn't really count, does it? All right, maybe it does. A lot of guilt in the audience today. Sorry, sorry. Uh, okay, then there's some folks who have a really high bar for the Lent, giving things up for Lent, including one person that I know, who you know too, uh, who's giving Netflix up for Lent. And when I say that, some people this week were like, whoa, that person must really love God to give up Netflix for Lent. Here's the point of giving something up for Lent, right? It's supposed to create space in your life so that when you would have been doing something or buying something or eating something that you would instead attend to God's presence. It really doesn't do much good to give something up for Lent just to give something up for Lent. It's intended to create space in your life for paying attention to where God might be leading you. And it connects to the, the wilderness journeys in Scripture. So Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days and experienced some temptation from Satan in the midst of that. The Israelites were in the desert for 40 years when they were trying to get to the new promised land but had a hard time trusting God's leading in that. And so the 40 days is meant to connect to those stories in Scripture 
where people are kind of wandering and lost a little bit and looking expectantly for God to lead them to a better place. Uh, it's a training ground. It's a place where we're form, being formed for what comes next. And so as we anticipate Good Friday and then Easter Sunday, we're looking for God to speak to us. We're trying to pay attention. We're a little more uh, intentional about paying, uh, seeing what it is that God might want for us. Um, so here's my suggestion for Lent. If you haven't chosen anything for uh, what you want to give up for Lent, I was thinking, uh, what if we, kind of like this with open hands, said to God during Lent, here are the things that I'm worried about in my life. Here are the things that are keeping me up at night, so to speak, right? That, are, that I'm waking up sometimes thinking about. Here are the things that are causing me the most stress in my life. Um, and, and maybe if we offer those things up to God and say, I'm open, in an open-handed way asking you to help me with these things intentionally. And in turn, we said we, what we would love is to learn how to experience your peace in the midst of these anxieties and worries that we have. Uh, everybody's worried about something, right? Everybody's feeling anxious about something. That We're all in the same boat in that. I'm wondering if this Lenten season we could ask God to help us to experience God's peace in the midst of those things that are going on in our lives. What if during Lent we were being trained to be peacemakers in the world that we all live in? What if we're to discover a new way to experience God's peace with God, with each other, with the people that are different from us in our lives. As I thought more and more about this and we planned this series out, it, it became clear to me that we, we are in desperate need of some peace in our lives, aren't we? We need peace in our hearts. We need peace in our neighborhoods. We need peace in our workplaces, in our families, in our country, and in the world that we live in. It was so exciting last week for me um, pastor Stephanie is in Uganda, some of you know, one of our pastors on our team, and her and her husband are traveling through different parts of Uganda. And last week on International Women's Day, Steph was in a, in a community of people that were so excited to meet a female pastor that they broke out in dance. And Steph posted a short video of it, and we'll repost it on the Mill City page later today if you want to see the video. But um, I was watching this video, and um, it just brought me to tears that Stephanie, an amazing person, a close friend of mine, partner for a long time in ministry, travels all the way across the world to meet people she doesn't know. And these people break, I mean, I think we should maybe break out and dance sometimes. We don't really do that around here. That'd be cool. So if you're one of those people, maybe you can help us live into that. But it was awesome just to see these folks be like, oh my gosh, we have a pastor in our midst uh, who's a woman, and to see them break out. And like this little bit of God's peace coming through Stephanie to them in that moment. So be sure and check that out. We are in desperate need of peace in every parts of our lives right now. And I think part of the question that a lot of us are asking, even if we're not saying it this way out loud, is, so how, how do we find peace? There is so much conflict and so much division. There's division in, in the church, out of the church. 
people trying to solve their differences by making sure that everybody knows that the other people are really, really, really wrong. How, how do we do it? How, how do we discover the peace that God has in mind for us? And that's what I, I want to start talking about today, and we'll talk about it over the next few Sundays. So the way I want to get in this today is uh, start looking at the book of Ephesians. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn to Ephesians 2, you can. Otherwise, the scripture will be on the screen for you. Uh, but you need a little, a little bit of background about this book, uh, specifically when we're talking about peace. So Paul, the author of, of the letter to the church in Ephesus, is writing the letter from prison. And it's really important to understand how he got into prison. So if you look at this story, it's in Acts chapter 21 and kind of following there. Uh, Paul is coming back to Jerusalem after having spent time trying to figure out how do we share the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of the kingdom of God, with people who aren't Jewish, which was a big risk to begin with, because not all Jewish people thought that they should even be sharing that news with people who weren't Jewish. But Paul did this multiple times. He went on these long journeys. He started churches. He shared the gospel. People became Christians. They started these young churches. Paul encouraged them, trained them, moved on to the next place. Sometimes he was able to go back and visit them. He gets back to Jerusalem, okay? The sort of center, right? The center of the, the new Christian movement. And he meets with the the leaders, the, uh, the leaders of the local church there, James and others. And they say, look, here's our problem. Uh, the people, some of the Jewish people, are very concerned that you're not teaching everybody to follow all the, the Jewish customs and laws. Uh, and it was true, like Paul wasn't teaching them to follow all the Jewish customs and laws because they had decided as a group that they didn't need to follow all the Jewish customs and laws in order to be followers of Jesus. But they said, here's what we need you to do. We need you to to shave your head and, and join with these other guys and go through this purification ritual to sort of help everybody see that you really are still committed to uh, the Jewish faith and following Jesus as a Jewish person. And so Paul says, okay, we're going to do that. So they go through this ritual uh, and they do the purification and he, he's uh, just outside the temple and a bunch of people kind of stir up some, some controversy and they, they start yelling at him and saying, basically, like, this person is denying the faith. He's teaching people uh, something that's not true. And so they grab him, and they just start, they start beating him. He's physically taking a beating. And somehow the Roman authorities get wind of this, and they sort of rush in and break it up and grab Paul and try to figure out what's going on. Uh, and they arrest Paul, and they're trying to understand why people are upset with him. And they're going to flog him. And then he says, uh, I'm a Roman citizen. Is it okay for you to just flog a Roman citizen who hasn't had a trial? And then they freak out and they say, oh boy, we don't want to do that. And it ends up being the, the catalyst for uh, Paul actually appealing his case all the way to the end of his life, all the way to Rome, where he gets to stand before the Roman emperor and share the gospel. But it's it's this situation. And the reason the whole thing sparks in Jerusalem is because a few people said, that they saw Paul with a guy, whose name is here in the text in Acts 21, with a guy from Ephesus, from the church in Ephesus, and they assumed that Paul brought this person, who's not a Jewish person, into the part of the temple that he didn't belong because he wasn't Jewish. Now, the text doesn't tell us that that actually happened. It just said that's what they accused him of, and that's why they got everybody riled up. So think about this for a second, all right? Paul risks his life, risks his companion's life, because he feels like the Holy Spirit is telling him to go to these far-off places and share the good news of Jesus Christ with people who aren't Jewish, 
because he believes in his core that Jesus didn't just die for Jewish people, but for other people who aren't Jewish. And he sees these amazing things. He sees people respond to the gospel. He sees people get healed. He sees these young churches start. He sees other people preaching the gospel. And he comes back to celebrate that with, uh, with the people in Jerusalem. And some of the people, not all of the people, use it as an opportunity to say, look, I saw you with one of those folks. I saw you with one of those people from Ephesus. And they use that against him to say, he's not really one of us anymore. And we ought to get rid of it. Literally in the text, that's what they say. We need to get rid of it. Okay, that's the setting. He's in jail. He's being held captive in Jerusalem for this reason, for being associated with a person from Ephesus when he writes the letter to the church in Ephesus. So if you have time this week, it's not a long book. You can read the whole book in 10 or 15 minutes. It's only six chapters. The first three chapters are about uh, Paul reassuring these people in Ephesus of who they are in Christ and what God has done for them. And the second three chapters are all about, in light of what Jesus has done for you, here's how you ought to live your life. Uh, And side note, There's a really amazing website that's continuing to develop called The Bible Project. You can find it at thebibleproject.com. And they have uh, videos, five, six, seven, eight-minute videos that give you introductions to books of the Bible. So especially if you're unfamiliar with Scripture or you just need a a renewal, uh, go on there, click on the Ephesians one, and it'll give you a really great visual overview of the whole book. It'll be, be fun for you to do as we're preaching through some of these chapters this month. So... Uh, I want to zero in on a few verses that talk about the peace that comes in Jesus Christ. But you've got to have this background in your mind and understand where Paul's writing from, what Paul, what's happened to Paul, and why he's trying to reassure these people in the church in Ephesus uh, of who they are in Christ. So here's, here's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. Uh, Paul says, For he himself, he's referring to Jesus, For Jesus is our peace, who made two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Jesus came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. All right, just think about sitting in a prison, being thrown in jail, or being accused of being near someone from Ephesus who's not a Jewish person. And writing these words, Jesus himself is our peace. Jesus has torn down the walls of hostility and made one new humanity out of two. Jesus has reconciled us to God in ways that we couldn't do for ourselves. For he himself is our peace. Paul writes, Jesus is our peace. What do you think he means when he says Jesus is our peace? Maybe we should start with what he doesn't mean. 
okay? I was chatting with some people from our church about this this week, and we said, look, uh, here's what he can't mean, right? This is, this is what peace can't be. Peace can't be the absence of conflict. When you think of the word peace, do you ever think it's just people aren't fighting? That's my primary definition of peace at my house with my children. Peace isn't like that they're all getting along perfectly. It's just that they're not yelling at each other, right? If you come in, I haven't always trying to solve the problems that they're having. I'm just trying to separate them and keep them from fighting about who's going to put the gloves on the heater or whatever goofy thing they're fighting about at the moment. I think people, though, in general, when we hear the word peace, we mean how do we find a way to just not have conflict? And I can't emphasize enough, that's nothing like what Paul's describing when he says Jesus is our peace. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. But peace can't be the absence of conflict. And peace is also not the absence of difficult circumstances, right? Peace is not the absence of difficult circumstances. Paul is in the middle of some really terrible circumstances. You can't be sitting in a jail in Jerusalem unsure of your future and say, Jesus is our peace because... I'm in jail right now, and I'm suffering, and I don't know really what's going to happen next. It can't be that we're not experiencing struggle in our lives. Maybe for some of you today, you're in the midst of some really tough circumstances. Because I know some of your stories, I know that you're in the middle of some really tough circumstances. What does it look like for Jesus to be your peace in the midst of whatever difficult circumstances you might be facing right now? So let's look at what does Paul mean when he says, Jesus is our peace. One important, pe- one important part of, of defining this is that God makes peace, Paul's saying, by sending Jesus right into the middle of conflict. Okay? So when it says, Jesus himself is our peace, and he has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. It doesn't say that Jesus just said, everybody separate and get along. Jesus actually goes right into the middle of the hostility. In fact, he takes that hostility on himself. We, we really have to learn from this, okay? Because you see people trying to make peace. You can see them on the television. You see them in your workplace. And the way in which they're trying to make peace is really just by keeping people in their camps. We don't have lots of people who are saying, the way to make peace is to actually learn to love the person across from you. To enter into the conflict and say, what sacrifice of my own can I make in order for there to be peace with this person? Jesus is not a peacekeeper, he's a peacemaker. Jesus brings together outsiders and insiders, to use Paul's language here, right? Jesus brings the, takes on the fulfillments of the law that we couldn't fulfill for ourselves in the Old Testament. He fulfills them himself and invites us into relationship as a gift. Jesus creates One new unified humanity out of the two. Now, why is Paul writing he creates one new humanity out of the two in this situation? Because there are deep ethnic divides that exist between people who have never been able to think about including anybody outside of their family tradition and their family tree in the promises of God, even though 
God is clearly saying that everyone is welcome into God's family. Jesus' death on the cross helps reconcile our relationship with God by giving us peace with God. Even though we have sin in our lives, even though we need God's forgiveness, Jesus does for us what we can't do for ourselves so we can experience God's forgiveness. We're going to talk a little bit more in depth about that next week. The text says that that through Jesus, God gives us access to the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you see the whole Trinity at work there. That because of what Jesus has done for us, because Jesus enters into the conflict, we have access to approach the throne, approach the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit, and have intimate conversations with God that have no barrier between us and Him. Through Jesus, there's peace because we can reconcile with each other, not because we don't have differences, but because we all come to God in need of forgiveness and God's love and God's grace. You can see all of the reasons in this text, if you look carefully, why Paul is writing this from prison, given his circumstances. He knows these ethnic groups need to see themselves as one human family. He knows that the law and its requirements, Jesus has fulfilled, and we have to let go of believing that we have to accomplish all these certain tasks, check all the right boxes in order for God to love us. As Steph said a few weeks ago, no, God loves us first. God promises to us first. God invites us into relationship first, and we have the opportunity to say yes back to God, not because we've accomplished anything, but because that's God's invitation to us. I love the language of God making peace by Jesus taking in his body the wrong that has been done and through the cross putting to death their hostility. Don't we desperately need in our culture someone to put hostility to death? Please. And, and shouldn't Christian people be the ones who know how to make peace, not keep peace, how to make peace, not just huddle together as Christian people and reinforce our version of whatever we think everyone else ought to think, but dive deep into the conflicts that are around us in loving ways, in self-sacrificial ways, so that we can model Jesus for other people. If we're just spitting hostility at other people that we disagree with, how does that at all follow the model of the way in which Jesus makes peace? It's overwhelming to me when I sit and think about the way in which God saves us. God could have just sort of waved his hand and said, there's a less costly way to redeem these people, I think, because God can do anything. But this is the way that God makes peace. We hang this great big wooden cross up every week to remind us of how much peace costs. And in this Lenten season, we have to start by realizing how much God has done for us in order that we might have peace with God and peace with each other and peace in the world. Let me invite the band to come up. I'm almost done. So here's what I want to invite you into as a concrete practice this week. Um, I, I've noticed in my own life, if I was to talk to you about what keeps me up at night, nothing really keeps me up at night, 
But I sometimes wake up at ridiculous hours of the morning, and I can't go back to sleep. Anybody else? Sometimes I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, and I'm just laying there trying to go back to sleep. And I realize that one of the things that's going on in my head when that's happening is I'm, I'm worried or anxious or focused or whatever you want to call it on things I have to get done, things related to work, things related to the church, something that I'm working on, somebody I'm worried about, things that have to happen. That's what I'm thinking about. And, and I, I sometimes can't get out of it. It's just a cycle, and my brain won't shut off, and I can't go back to sleep, and I'll sort of lay there for a long time. Sometimes I'll get up and try to work, and then you're just smoked by 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Anybody have that experience? So here's what I've been trying to try to put this, what I'm telling you about, into practice personally. Uh, it's, it's that whenever I wake up at a really early hour, I'm trying to catch my, my brain, and I'm trying to say short uh, prayers that reaffirm my trust that God can make peace in my heart, in my mind, in the world, that God is trustworthy, and that me focusing on all these things isn't really going to change them that dramatically from 3 o'clock to 5 o'clock or 4 o'clock to 6 o'clock. And I want to I just say, you know, in the weeks that I've been doing that, it is really changing my experience of it. And I wake up, and I'm kind of battling with my brain, and I say short prayer like this. Jesus, help me to trust that you know what needs to happen. Help me to trust that whatever I can do will be what it is and the results are up to you. Help me to believe that you can make peace in these situations that I, that I know of or that I'm part of where there's conflict. Help me to have the courage to trust you, to enter into things that need to be said or need to be done and allow you to work the way that you work. It's a reorientation from I have to do it, I have to fix it, I have to accomplish it, to reminding myself over and over again that Jesus is our peace. And so I wanna, I wanna just invite you for one minute, in the midst of whatever struggle you're facing right now in your life, okay? Reaffirm your trust that Jesus is with you in the midst of that struggle, that the God that we worship knows how to enter into those worries and anxieties that you have in the midst of whatever challenging circumstances that you are in, and I know some of them are very challenging, reaffirm your trust that Jesus knows how to make peace in the midst of difficult circumstances. So just for a short minute, I wanna, I wanna just have it a quiet moment, because maybe there aren't that many quiet moments in your life. If you want to, you can put your hands out in front of you like this and say, God, I offer you the things that I'm worried about that are concerning to me, that are challenging in my life, and I ask you to help me trust you and help me see how you can make peace out of the things that I'm going through. Let's just try that right now. Jesus, we offer all of these things to you in our lives. You know our hearts. Nothing is hidden from you. 
So as we offer with open hands today, God, uh, these anxieties, these worries, these challenges that we're facing, some that don't even seem to have solutions, we ask God for your peace in the midst of those things. Jesus, help us to see how it is that you are our peace. Give us courage to enter into these situations where some peace needs to be made. Continue to do away with the hostility that we experience in our lives and in our relationship. God, make your church, make the name, your name great through the way that your church participates in making peace. Lift our burdens, God. Help remind us that you are with us in the midst of whatever struggles we are in. We're thankful for you. We're thankful for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.